Amen. We serve a God that is a fixer. Amen. And we know uh, that he is a God who can fix things uh, and that is willing to fix things. Uh, When we look to the cross, we see what he ultimately fixed for us. Amen. Uh, We were headed to a place called hell. But because of Calvary, we now have life. Amen. Anybody know that he's a fixer? Amen. I don't have to go way back. I can just look back on this last week and see how he can fix things. Amen. He's a mind regulator. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father God, for the way that you fix things. You fix people, use people so that we can fix things. Thank you, Father God, that you are a God who is near. You're not far away. You are near. You are omnipresent. Right now in this room, you are here. And you're not just here when we leave. Wherever we go, you're there. If we go to the north, you're there. If we go to the south, you're there. If we turn to the east, you're there. If we turn to the west, we're there. If we make our bed in heaven, you're there. If we make our bed in the depths of the earth, you are there. You are omnipresent. And we worship you, an omnipresent God, a good God, a God who delights in doing good things for his people, a faithful God, a God who is faithful even when we are faithless, God who supplies our every need according to your riches and glory. Lord, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. They all belong to you. So for that person, Father God, who is swaddling in debt this morning, for that person, Father God, who's living check to check and who feels like giving up, Lord, remind us, Lord, that you are you are near. Father, we come to worship you and you alone. Strip us. Then clothe us. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. If you could stand with your Bibles in your hands. Philippians chapter 4. And this morning we're going to look at just one verse. Verse 8. So glad to see each and every one of you this morning. To see that the Lord has kept you. I pray that this was a, a week where you can look back on and see God at work. What you hold in your hand is the, uh, the word of God. What a privilege it is to be able to, uh, to have it. What you see on the screen is God's word. And it reads, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You may be seated. It was recently revealed that in 1977, the CIA uh, went on a 25-year journey and spent about $25 million 
researching and developing techniques of mind control. They had believed that Russia had perfected the art of controlling people's minds and were able to break prisoners of war by mind control. Today we are going to talk about mind control, but it's not going to be that type of mind control. Today we are going to look at how we can take control of our own minds. How we can take control of our own minds. As believers in Jesus Christ, it is important that we have victory in our thought life. It is important that we are able to control our own minds. There is an old saying that says, if we sow a thought, we reap an action. If we sow an action, we reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a destiny. Say that again. You sow a thought, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a destiny. There is a way in which our minds or the thoughts that we have shape us. Our thoughts shape our character. Our thoughts shape our lives. Jonathan Edwards said, the ideas and images in men's mind are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. The ideas and images in a man's mind are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Our thought life governs us. Whether or not we live to the glory of God, Whether or not we have victory in our lives from day to day depend on whether or not we have learned to take control of our minds. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, As a man thinketh, so is he. In other words, if you sow a thought, you're going to reap an action. If you sow an action, you will reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you will reap a character, and if you are sowing that character, it will be your destiny. As a man thinketh, so is he. If you want joy in your life, you must learn to take control of your mind. If you want peace in your life, you must learn to take control of your mind. If you want victory over sin and defeat in your life, you must learn to take control of your mind. For all sin begins in our thought life. Jesus called it the heart. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, we read that Jesus says, That which proceeds out of a man, that is what defies the man. For from within uh, and out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murders, adultery, deeds of covenant and wickedness, all as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile a man. 
All sin is birth in a man's thought life. That's why Jesus said that we ought to love the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our mind, and all of our soul. Many of us in here, just this week, we just had tough weeks. As human beings, sometimes we have tough weeks and and tough days and, and tough hours. And in those times of, of toughness, when, when things aren't going our way and things are falling apart, uh, it, uh, how we respond depends on how we are thinking. Some of us today, we have come into the sanctuary just stressed out. We come into the sanctuary just struggling because of the things that's going on. Some of us are, are carrying a, a heart that is constantly depressed or feelings of guilt and defeat. And, and some of us are, are carrying deep roots of, of bitterness. And, and my goal today is, is to equip us with the things that are necessary to take control of our hearts, to take control of our minds. And chapter... 4 verse 6, the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi to not be anxious about anything. Some of our translations say, uh, do not be careful about anything. That word in the Greek literally means to be pulled in different directions when he talks about anxious or anxiety. When we are anxious as believers, we are being pulled in two directions. Part of our heart and mind, because we know Jesus is being pulled towards hope, and the other is being pulled towards despair. Anxiety has a way of separating us and making us double-minded and driving us down. The old English root word by which we get the word worry means to strangle. And if you've ever worried about something, it feels like you are being strangled by that problem. And some of us here this morning, we are worrying about things and we are literally being strangled by it. We see the bill on the table. We we know it's coming up just like it came up last month. And because we have not been able to control our mind or take control of it, we, we find ourselves constantly rattled every time of the month that that bill is due. Or or, or maybe today you're worried about a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, your job. Even in the midst of difficulty and those challenges, God does not want you to be pulled in two different directions. God does not want you to be strangled by the thing that is causing you despair. He, in the midst of that, wants to give you peace. And the way that we find peace in the midst of being tempted to to be pulled in different directions is by setting our affections and our mind on Jesus. Warren Worsby notes that wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings and before long the heart and mind are pulled apart and we are strangled by worry. We must realize that thoughts are real and powerful even though they cannot be seen, weighed, or measured. The Apostle Paul, one theologian, calls him the Apostle of the Mind because in in every book he bases his argument uh, uh, on self-control and purity and holiness on the mind. 
For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 22 through 20, 23, when he's talking to the church at Ephesus about putting off the old man and putting on a new man, we, we hear him say, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed by the spirit of your minds. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right-hand side of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not the things that are below. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. Obedience to Jesus is a mind issue. When you're in the middle of the day at work, falling to despair and anxiety, such a neighbor say, it's a mind issue. Right thinking leads to right living. And we can't think right without the power of the Holy Spirit and without Jesus. So this isn't some self-help talk about just positive thinking. This is a message that is encouraging to you to, to set your mind on the things that are above, to set your mind on Christ in order to take control of your mind. The Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians from prison. It's probably around A.D. 60 or 62. That's about 60 to 62 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. He is in jail, in prison, scantily being fed, being mistreated. There, not knowing what the future is going to hold. And yet he writes one of the most uplifting and upbuilding books of the Bible to the church at Philippi. In this book, over 12 times, he uses the word rejoice or joy. Here is a people who is free in Philippi, who can move and go about throughout their day, and they find themselves struggling with joy. And yet you have a man who is in prison, a man who is in chains, but who is really free because he is the apostle of the mind. He realized that the state of one's mind determines the state of one's heart, and the state of one's life. Victor Frankl, a Jew, was sent to one of the Nazi death camps of World War II. And in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Frankl wrote that while he was a prisoner, the guards stripped him of everything he had. He said they took his identity. He said that they took his wife and family. They took his clothes. They even took his wedding ring. But he went on to say that there was one thing they could not take from him, his freedom to choose his response and his attitude. He said, quote, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances and to choose one's way. Whatever you're going through today, I want you to know And as we look to Jesus, we have a choice to trust him and to believe him 
and to have joy in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain, or to not trust him and to be strangled to death by worry. Paul helps the church at Philippi to have peace. That's what chapter 4 is all about, to have peace. And he, he first tells them that in order to have peace, you have to pray the right prayer or the right way. In chapter uh, 4, verse 6 and 7, he's talking about prayer. And he says, just go to the Lord and know that the Lord is near and you can have peace. And then in verse 9, he tells them that not only do you have to pray the right way, but you have to seek to live the right way or follow the right mo- uh, motto. Paul tells them to follow him as he, he follows Christ. But right in the middle of those two uh, commandments and exhortations, he, he tells them that you have to learn to think the right things. So not only do we want to pray, prayer is great and we need prayer. And not only do we want to strive to follow Jesus, we hear sermons all the time about that looking to Jesus and follow his model. We need that in order to have peace. But we need to be able to think the right thoughts. Because if we're praying and if we're seeking to follow, but we're not controlling our mind, we're going to fail. So Paul gives us eight exhortations here, things to think about, and we're going to group some of them together. He says to the church of Philippi, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true. At the end of the verse, he says this, think about these things. I love how he says, finally, brothers. This is the second time. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally, brothers, as well. Paul was a Baptist preacher, uh, constantly trying to come to a conclusion in his sermon. <laughs> so he tried to land the plane once it didn't work so now he's going to try to land it again it's not going to work and then later on in the chapter he's going to finally land it so in other words he's saying in conclusion brothers he says think on these things what does that mean to think on these things in the Greek it literally means to, to take record of to dwell on to meditate on and what does he say he says meditate on what is true meditate on what is true Paul tells us, and he tells this church that peace comes when we meditate on what's true. You know, worry and the things that we worry about, they're not necessarily true. A survey was done in which, uh, uh, some, some time ago in which they, they surveyed people to see what they were worrying about, and they followed up some time later to see how much of what they worried about actually came to pass. And a survey showed that only 8% of the things that people had worried about actually came to pass. Most of the things we worried about is not true. We worry about things that may happen. And we spend our time and our energy being strangled to death by things that are not guaranteed to come to pass. Paul says don't spend your time worrying about things of this world. That's what Jesus says as well. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for today is today's problem, right? We spend time worrying about things that may or may never happen. He said, think about things that's true. How much of the things that you're worrying about is a fact, is actually true? We also do the same thing in, in terms of individual relationships with each other. Rather than meditating on things that is true, we begin to think that another person is thinking this. And then we begin to have conversations with the other person in our head. And then we begin to 
start questioning their motives or why they said and did something. And before we know it, we have created an alternate world on something that is false. And most of the times when we go and talk to the person about why they said what they said or did what they did, they say, that is not what I was thinking. That's not what motivated my actions. How much of your worry, how much of your anxiety, how much of your strain is from perception? The book of Joshua, I believe it's around the 22nd chapter, we see this happening with Israel. They have finally begun to conquer Canaan, and everyone's getting settled in and starting to enjoy their land. And all of a sudden, the eastern tribes begin to build an altar, and all the other tribes of Israel begin to say, wait a minute, what are they doing? They're building an altar. And they begin to say, wait, they're building an altar to a false god. God is going to be angry with us. So all the tribes, they get their clothes on for war, they gather together, they march to the east, and they are ready to plummet these, these, these tribes. And the Bible says the eastern tribes look at it, looked at them and they said, what are y'all doing? They said, the Lord is going to crush you and he's going to crush us because of your idolatry. Don't you remember what happened to Ai? And they said, brothers, we are building this as a memorial to our children and our grandchildren. So that they would remember what God has done for us. They had built an argument in their head and had went to attack this, their brothers off of perception. The battle is in the mind. Paul says, take control of your mind by thinking on what's true. Here's just a, a simple thing you can do when thoughts come to your mind, negative thoughts about, about people come to your mind or about things come to your mind. Ask yourself the question, is this a fact? Or is this a mere feeling? Read, not sure how accurate it is, that it's estimated that over 10,000 thoughts go through our minds each day. How many of your thoughts are true? But the ultimate person, the ultimate thing that we ought to set our minds on because it's true is God. The Bible says that God is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to take control of your mind, set your mind on Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, he prayed to God, Lord, sanctify your people with truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 19, verse 7, the word of God says that, uh, the psalmist says that the word of God is true. Taking control of our minds begins with us Valuing God's word, meditating on it, and accepting it as truth. How much more peace could you have in your life if your thoughts were set on his word? Now, to worry, you may say, well, I, I don't know how to meditate. I don't, I don't know how to, how, how to, to dwell on the truth. I, I just struggle to do that. I have a, a hard time. Let me tell you something. If you can worry, you can meditate. Because meditation, worrying, takes one thought 
and dwells on it over and over and over and over again. Right? Right? Oh, last time I was, got my oil changed, they said that I needed a new battery, right? So all morning, you're getting ready, and it's cold. You're hoping that your car starts, and you're just thinking about it over and over and over. How bad of a day this is going to be if my car doesn't start because of my battery? How bad of a day? 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 Brush your teeth. How bad of a day? How bad of a day? Eating cereal. How bad of a day? How bad of a day? How bad? Then you get your car starts, right? And then you start worrying about the next thing. I should have left five minutes early. The traffic is going to be so bad, right? And then you worry about it until you get into the traffic. What are you doing? You're taking one thought and you're meditating on it over and over and over. Meditating on God's word is taking one truth and you hold on to it and you dwell over and over and over. You say, how is Satan lying? How is Satan tempting me? Satan is tempting me today to believe that, that God isn't going to provide my needs. When I go to the scriptures, I look at Philippians chapter 4, and I remind myself that, that God is a provider of all my needs according to his riches and glory. And every time that negative thought comes in, I block it with the word of God. Every time that negative thought tries to come in, I block it with the word of God. And I begin to meditate on what's true. Then Paul goes on to say, not only should you think on these things that's true, he said, think on the things that's honorable. Think on the things that's honorable. What does he mean by honorable? He means things that is, is worthy of respect. And every time this word honorable is used in the New Testament, it's used three other times outside of how it's used here in Philippians. And every time um, in, our, in the ESV translated, translation, it is translated as dignity. Saying think about things, think through things as dignified. But each time it is used to talk about a person, a person. So, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8, it says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to wine. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Women likewise must be dignified, not malicious, gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound, in faith, in love, in perseverance. So every time in the New Testament it's used, it, it is used to talk about how we should be as members of the body of Christ. So I want to take this liberty and say, you know, part of taking control of your mind is not accepting the picture that the world gives us about people. When we turn on television or the news, we can be extremely pessimistic about people. Can't we? I mean, as human beings, we, we all sin, we all fall short, and we all are jacked up in some ways, and we all are quirky, right? Everybody's quirky. The church is for quirky people. Um, the moment is not, I'm going to resign as pastor because I'm as quirky as all get out, right? We're all special. We're all unique. We're all different. Um, but when we, when we start to look at the news or television, we get this horrible perception that everybody's always out to get us, Right? And if you just are one of those people who watch the news 24-7, man, you've got all kind of locks on your back door, don't you? You just always think someone is breaking in, right? So you're constantly living in fear thinking someone is going to double-cross you or break into your house. I think it would be a great practice if we learn to take control of our mind 
by reminding ourselves that in the body of Christ and amongst God's people, there are plenty of people who are honorable. There are pl- Forest Baptist Church is filled with honorable people. I was visiting, and again, filled with honorable people. I can name literally dozens upon dozens of people who are honorable, worthy of respect. But I'm going to use this one person as an example today. Sister uh, Hyatt um, has been going through some, some trials as she has been, been ill for, for quite some time. And she was in the hospital and a few uh, uh, weeks ago got to spend a, a great amount of time with her a couple times in one week. And I was there just talking to her one day and uh, one of her, her daughters was there and we just talked. And before I knew it, two and a half hours had passed. And just enjoyed hearing about her life, her struggles, and, and how Jesus brought her over. And on the way back to the car, as I have thought many times before, I just thought to myself, she is such a beautiful person. You don't, you don't have to walk around tight looking to see who's going to try you. Relax. Take control of your mind. Meditate on honorable people. And then Paul goes on and he says, think not only, not only on what's true and and honorable, but he says, think on what's just and what's pure. And we're going to couple these together. Just means what's right or righteous. And pure means what's holy. Another term for holiness. One of the ways that we take control of our mind is, is by protecting what we fill our mind with. You cannot have victory in your life, men, over sin and lust if you are not being active about what you see on television and on the Internet. He says, think on what's just, what's right, and think on what's pure. One of Satan's greatest tactics, men and women, is to get us distracted and to get us thinking about things that are defiled and dirty. Pornography is defiled and dirty. And it is a huge epidemic in our culture because it is so accessible and because someone can remain anonymous while doing it. Back in the day, if someone wanted to watch something pornographic, you had to go through a whole bunch of steps to do it, right? All right? had to go to a specific video store, and then you had to go to the back of that video store, put on a hood, right, try to hide, pray no one sees you, right, come home, hide it in the basement, right? But that's not the case today. That's not the case today. Pornography is killing This culture's mine because it's so accessible, and in many cases, you can remain anonymous. And what pornography does is it perverts what's true. God created human beings in his image, and he created men and women for his pleasure. And he created our sexuality and gave us sexuality in order that we would be able to explore that in marriage. And our sexuality should push us towards marriage. 
But instead, pornography pushes us away from marriage by allowing us to be self-serving. It creates an alternate path in our brain, and instead of seeing that woman as a person who's made in the image of God that God loves, who's one day going to go to heaven or hell, we see that person in terms of numbers and shapes. And it distorts us. But not only does it distort us, it distorts us from seeing God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in eye, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are pure, for they shall see God. What does he say? Not, not just in, in heaven, we're pure because of Jesus' righteousness, sure, but on earth, if we are filling our minds with filth, we are not going to be able to see the God of Scripture when we go to it. There's going to be a cloud. We're not going to understand it. It's going to seem boring. And what's going to seem exciting is that that image of that woman or man on the screen. God created you for more, men. God created you for more women. Paul says you take control of your mind by fighting to look at what's just, what is right, and what's pure. They say, that pornography, when one watches it, it releases chemicals into your brain at an extraordinary level. More than an actual sexual encounter with one's spouse. And some have said that pornography is as addictive as heroin. And I know this is true from working with me. It's addictive. Run. Paul told Timothy, flee from youthful lust. And we can't do that alone. That's why we need brothers in our lives, people we can be honest with and say, I'm failing, I'm struggling, help me. Help me. We were at a, my wife and I was at a marriage uh, conference recently. We had done a, a breakout class for another church that's out of town. And the Lord really blessed it. It was a good time and uh, really allowed people to open up, and we really got to experience his grace. But while we were there, a woman came up to us who we had ministered to before when we were at that church, and she told us, she said, I got to tell you about how the Lord has set me free uh, through uh, you all's ministry and talking to you. Last time you guys were here, you, you talked about um, exotic romance novels and literature and how literature is pornography. And that really struck a chord in my heart because that's how I entertain myself, by, by reading these love romance novels. And many of them had explicit scenes, and I would find myself just kind of fantasizing in that way. But after the conference, I stopped buying them. I, I gave them away, and now I'm free. Paul said, think on these things. Think on what's true. Think on what's just. Think on what's pure. Maybe, maybe the struggle with your desire for your spouse is because by the time you come to your spouse, you've been filled up with all these images of filth. Give it to the Lord. He can free you. Jesus is in the business of, of, of freeing captives. He freed a woman who had seven demons. He freed a, a, a prostitute. We see a woman by the name of, of Rahab who was a, a prostitute, had faith in the God of Israel. 
and who is now in the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, he could take your past and clean it and, and clean you up and give you new desires and new affections. If God looks boring to you, it's because you've set your affections on something that is toxic and it has corroded your sight. But God can renew your sight. Take control of your mind. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. Your mind determines your destiny. It determines whether or not you are on fire for Jesus, whether or not you are loving people and loving your spouse. Through God, you can do it. goes on. And we're going to lump these last four qualities together because I believe that Paul is just kind of adding words on here. Adding words in order to make one big point. He says, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. Look at what he says. He uses the word lovely. He used the word commendable. He used the word excellence. And in the Greek, they all have small nuances, but they all really mean what this last word is saying, if there's anything worthy of praise. He said, train your mind not to think about things that are unlovely and disrespectful and negative. Train your mind to see Things that are worthy of praise. Take control of your mind. Every day we have two options when we look at people. To to look at the negative that is in them. And to dwell on those few negative qualities that drive us crazy. Right? Or we have an opportunity to glorify God by looking at what is lovely and commendable in that person. In that unsafe co-worker that just bothers you by the way they chew their gum. And it just drives you up a wall. You have a choice before you go into work to pray that the Lord would help you not to be anxious and worry and torn apart by that, right? And to look for in that person, what what do they do well at the job? Whenever I needed a shift covered, they covered my shift. Think about what's lovely. What's commendable in this person? They don't stay out for that lunch break for 45 minutes and cause your job to be harder. Dwell on those things. This is extremely pertinent in marriage. It is so easy in marriage to look at the few things that your spouse is not doing And allow that to dominate your thought life. Right? Rather than focusing on all that she is doing. Praise God for my wife. Love her to to life. If I say to death, but that. (laughs) Right? Mother, 27 years old, by God's grace, uh, taking, taking care of the home. Excellent. Works hard for our family, selfless, loves the Lord. Um, And as great as she is, there's going to be some imperfections in her. And she'll say the same thing about me. Um, Probably not compliment me as much, but 
<laughs> she'll say a few nice things about me. But the atmosphere of our home is going to be determined by what we choose to dwell on in each other, by how we build each other up. If I come home and dishes are, are done and, and this is out of order and this is out of order, rather than complain about how the house looks, what would it look like, man, for us to just say, wow, dishes are in the sink. That means she cooked today. Praise God that my wife provided for my children two meals today. And what would it look to put on a heart of a servant and say, sweetie, I'm going to take care of the dishes today. You go and you relax. But what Satan wants us to do is he wants to take control of our mind and he wants us to focus. Hard day of work. Now, I'm not saying that we should let, you know, we should encourage anyone to just allow, if something is sinful and habitual, to just reign, right? We then go to that person with grace and gentleness and and, and honesty. But I'm saying, the Bible says that love looks over a multitude of sins, that we should be quick to be so critical in picking each other apart, picking your spouse apart, picking your children apart. Little Johnny may not get straight A's, but there's some other things that he's good at. Think about those things that's lovely and love him out of that. Love her out of that. Love each other out of that. Ultimately, the person who is all eight of these characteristics Certainly not me. Certainly not any of these great men in this congregation, the great women that's in this congregation. Certainly not our leaders of this nation. Ultimately, the only person who can constantly walk in these eight attributes is Jesus. Jesus is true. Jesus is just. Jesus is pure. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is commendable. Jesus is worthy of praise. If we set our affections on Jesus and fight to dwell and to meditate on him, his works, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his unfailing love for us, if he is the target by which we aim every morning, if he is what we are shooting for every day to know him and to be loved by him, then our minds will be protected by him. Jesus is worthy of praise. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us was good enough. None of us could earn God's grace. None of our works can satisfy God. But Jesus can, and he did by living a perfect life, by keeping every iota of the law, by satisfying God. Even though he was tempted in every way that we are, he did not sin. Took 39 lashes, save one. He walked the Via Dolorosa, that road of sorrow, 
He was taken to a hill called Golgotha. An innocent man died as a guilty man in order that you would have life and freedom in him so that when you fall and fail at setting your mind on him and the things that are above, you can be forgiven of your sins with no condemnation, no guilt, and no shame. You can say, Lord, I messed up, but you love me anyway. And you can grow in holiness and contentment through his resurrection power. There's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus. And I don't want you to walk out of here deceived thinking that you can take control of your mind. Because you cannot take control of your mind if you have not made a U-turn in your mind. The word repentance means to have a change of mind. It is the picture of someone going the wrong way and then changing their direction and going a different way. The way that you can have control of your mind and think about these things is by you realizing that your life is not your own, that God has created you with a purpose, that God wants you to be in fellowship with him, That sin is deserving of hell and death and it separates us from him. But that God made a way of salvation through his son, Jesus. In order for you to take control of your mind, you need to do a mental U-turn. Agree with God that your sin is horrible. But that Jesus is beautiful and died on your behalf. And you can find life. I don't care what you've done. Bible says, though your sins are red as scarlet, Jesus will make you whiter than snow. I don't care what you did last night, what you did this morning, what you did 10 years ago. God is in the business of taking messed up people and making them his children. Did it for a man named Moses. Moses was a murderer. God showed himself to Moses. He made a mental U-turn and was used to free many captives. He can do it with you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall, not you might, you shall be saved. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the strength to take control of our mind. Lord, we may not be able to certainly control our circumstances, but through your power and your grace, we can bloom wherever you have planted us. Just like Paul said, I learned to be content. Through your Holy Spirit, we can learn. We can learn to be content. We can learn to be holy. We can learn to have victory. We can learn to love Jesus more and more. Lord, we pray for the person that's here today who may not know Jesus and the pardon of their sins, that you would give them life. Pray, Lord, for that seed that was planted today, that you will protect it from the evil one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Pray for the person who's worried, who's being strangled by their thought life. Free them. Take Satan's hands from around their neck. Take that burden, that yoke from around their neck and give them your son.
Jesus' name, we beg you, Holy Spirit. Amen. This time we're going to ask you to, to please stand and join us in worship. You are going to be in the hands of uh, uh, Minister Jared as he uh, leads us in a song. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, now is the time to, to come. Uh, many, many, and most people in here have, have simply just walked the aisle and come down and say, I want to follow Jesus. It is a declaration that you can make before other believers, and we can hold you accountable.